Once upon a time, there was a man named Manoah and his unnamed wife. Today, we'll call her Rachel. They lived a long time ago in some very dangerous and chaotic times for God's people. This was after Moses had trudged his last steps in the desert and before the steadier days of Samuel. They lived in an era infamously known as the time of the judges. The loose confederation of tribes known collectively as Israel was once again in deep trouble and things were spiraling out of control. The people had been doing evil in the sight of God and Yahweh had reluctantly handed them over to their enemies, the Philistines, for another 40 years. They didn't even appear to notice or mind very much. They were so immersed in their own destructiveness and self-centeredness that they didn't even bother crying out for God's help. It is in these dark times that Manoah and Rachel lived. We can imagine the scene of Rachel hunched over the kitchen counter, attempting to clean the chili residue, stubbornly clinging to their dirty microwave. She's feeling quite depressed. Rachel and her husband have been unable to conceive and bear a child. The long trips to the high-tech fertility clinic in the big city have proved unhelpful and have drained their bank account of the little savings they had. More importantly, all of their hopes and dreams have been drained as well. So imagine Rachel's great astonishment when a majestic being that could only be an angel shows up in her modest home. This angelic being tells her that she's going to have a son and he will be a Nazarite. After the angel left, Rachel immediately runs to find her husband who is attempting to fix the old Massey Ferguson tractor out in the barn. Now, her husband Manoah was a skeptical and a rather obtuse man who believed in cold, hard facts and only what he could see with his own two eyes. He had a difficult time believing such good news, even from his wife, whom he thinks has a bit of a habit of embellishing her stories a little. And indeed, in Rachel's great excitement, she hasn't exactly repeated word for word the message of the angel. However, Manoah wants to believe and get confirmation on all the details and promptly jumps to his aching knees in a pious act of prayer and asks Yahweh to resend the man who gave the message to his wife. A few days later, as Rachel was working in the vegetable garden, hoeing between a few scraggly rows of carrots and beets, the angel reappeared. And she immediately runs once again to find her husband, who is throw busy throwing hay bales into the loft. Manoah runs back to the garden with a speed and determination not seen since his high school basketball days as a little-used benchwarmer. Sweaty and gasping for breath, he asks the angel what the future child is going to do with his life that would warrant such a bold proclamation of a future birth. The angel shrugs and offers a rather mischievous smile and gives a slight head nod towards Rachel and simply says, just listen to your wife. 
Manoah was anxious not to let this man get away too fast and found it hard to believe that this guy was actually a legitimate angel. He suggests farmer sausage for lunch in hopes of checking the stranger out further and discussing more the outlandish promise of a child. The angel politely declines lunch, but suggests that Manoah prepare and offer a burnt offering instead. Manoah then asked for the man's name, even offering to name the baby boy after him. He figures maybe the police can track this guy down after he leaves. The angel firmly refuses with some impatience showing in his tone of voice. So Manoah fires up the barbecue and offers the farmer sausage and the buns as an offering. Suddenly, just when the flames were blazing a little higher, the angel suddenly leapt onto the barbecue, balanced precariously for a second, and then ascended the flames into the heavens. Immediately, Manoah and his wife dive onto their grimy back deck face first in a frantic effort to honor what just happened in their own backyard. For Manoah, the realization has finally come. This was no hoax. This was a real live, angelic being. After being so skeptical in the first place, he fears some divine retribution and says as much to Rachel. She attempts to soothe his frazzled nerves by astutely pointing out all that had happened was for a purpose and not simply random acts prelude to their deaths. Of course, we know the rest of the story. About a year later, Rachel gave birth to a healthy baby boy weighing a whopping 17 pounds and named him Samson. Samson went on to become a faithful follower of Yahweh, a wise and discerning five-star military general, and a remarkably gifted leader who led God's people out of the darkness of their oppression Samson became a hero alongside the other Old Testament giants like Abraham, Moses, Samuel, and David. Right? Well, not quite. In fact, unfortunately, that is not what happened at all. Samson's story is a story of failure. The birth of Samson was a miraculous event. Although, to be fair, it seems that the birth of every child is a stunning event. A great gift of breath and hope and life from God. Yet sometimes a birth can be even more special and more unusual. And there are several of these stories in the Bible. These stories are called by the nerdy biblical scholars birth narratives. Samson's story is one of these such narratives. These are stories where something miraculous happens. Usually this means that someone gets pregnant when pregnant, pregnancy seems like a ridiculous dream. Then this miracle child goes on to accomplish amazing things for God and his people, the nation of Israel. This is all deemed memorable and important enough for record in the Bible. These are great stories. An elderly Sarah cannot contain a laugh to herself upon overhearing an angel promise a son to her and her husband Abraham. 
This was not a happy laugh, but a guttural one, born out of pain and bitterness. She eventually conceives and bears Isaac, one of the great patriarchs from whom the whole nation of Israel springs from. A child is conceived by the daughter of a Levi. And this is not particularly remarkable until the story continues. The baby escapes the extermination attempts of all the male babies by the Egyptian pharaoh only by his mother's last-ditch effort. She stuffed the baby into a wicker basket and nudged it onto the Nile River, only for the basket to drift right into the arms of a compassionate Egyptian princess. The child's name is Moses, and he grows up to lead all of God's people out of Egyptian slavery and spends the rest of his life shaking sand out of his sandals and navigating the nation of Israel through the perils of desert living. An infertile woman named Hannah prays such a desperate prayer asking for a son that she appears to be drunk, even promising to give him back to the Lord. She gives birth to Samuel, the great prophet, judge, leader, and kingmaker of Israel. An old man named Zechariah, performing his priestly duties, gets the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to enter the inner sanctum of the temple and burn incense by the altar. He is visited by an angel, and this angel tells him that his wife will give birth to a son. His wife, Elizabeth, well past her childbearing years, gives birth to a boy named John. He grows up to be a great prophet who hails to Israel the arrival of the coming Lord. And of course, the most important birth story of them all. A young, unmarried virgin is told by the angel Gabriel that she will bear the Son. And today we celebrate that event each year on December 25th. Hope. That is what all these birth narratives give. They are stories of hope for the future. And they promise great things to be done by the child of that birth on behalf of God for his people. Yet this story in Judges chapter 13 doesn't appear to belong with these other stories. It is the black sheep of the birth narrative stories. Yes, things got off to a pretty good start with the miraculous birth to the poor couple who had long been unable to conceive. But the child born is the well-known strongman, Samson. And when compared to the standards set by the other children of these birth narratives, he is a complete and utter failure. The reality is that this story is a total embarrassment to this prestigious collection of birth narratives. And it is fitting that we find it in the book of Judges, a book that we don't pay too much attention to, and for good reason. There does not seem to be much hope we can glean from Samson's life because he was a giant comic book-sized loser and an idiot. Samson does nothing but pander to his own interests and desires. Instead of rescuing God's people, he leaves them mired in oppression and fail to alter their situation. The story that began so promising in the end, seems to only provide a false hope of a deliverer for Israel. 
If we simply look at the dubious accomplishments of Samson's life, this really is a hopeless story. The birth story in hindsight looks like a red herring and almost a hoax. We are left wondering what hope there is in reading this story or perhaps even the book of Judges itself. Perhaps we should just stick to the safer and more successful heroes of the faith found in the more familiar stories. After all, we are seeking and even longing for reassuring hope that this text seemingly does not offer. Yet as strange as it may seem, sometimes we can get sidetracked by these biblical heroes of the faith. While they are indeed important and worthy of thought, study, and reflection, with the exception of Jesus, of course, their lives were not always such glorious examples either. Isaac was a weak and passive patriarch who misplaced the blessing of all blessings on the wrong son. Moses killed someone, ignored some important instructions from God, and doesn't even make it into the promised land. Samuel was a very grumpy leader who neglected the parenting of his two sons after watching his old mentor Eli previously make the exact same mistake with his two sons. John the Baptist spends the end of his life languishing in jail, doubting who Jesus actually is, and was eventually beheaded as a party favor given by a gutless host who didn't want to embarrass himself in front of his guests. If we devote too much attention to seeking hope in the very human lives and efforts of these past heroes of the Bible, we will usually come away disappointed eventually if we read carefully enough. The primary thing we should always be looking for in our reading of every biblical story is, what is God doing in this story? Let's extend this important question to the story of Manoah and Rachel. What is God doing in this obscure Old Testament story, which tells us about the origins and future birth of a WWE wrestler named Samson? God was being active and taking risks. This is hardly unusual for our God. Yahweh is shown throughout the Bible to be a tremendous risk taker. And this is demonstrated over and over again. In this case, this risk-taking takes place in the period of the judges, where chaos seemingly reigns almost uninhibited. Israel was trapped in a vicious cycle of continually doing evil in the sight of Yahweh, being allowed by God into the hands of their enemies, and eventually arranging their rescue through various leaders, often after hearing the cries of God's people. By Judges chapter 13, the Israelites do not even bother asking Yahweh for his help. Perhaps they were simply content to wallow in their evil and oppression. Maybe following God just asked too much from them and it seemed unrealistic to do so. Too scary. Too many rules. Perhaps Yahweh had been deemed an obsolete deity from the long-gone glory days of Abraham, Moses, and Joshua. 
People back then may have scoffed at the believer just as they do today. You actually believe there is a God? You believe those old myths are actually true? Uh, Miracles aren't real. There is no God. Look around you. How can there be a God? And if there is a God, he is very far away and doing a very poor job of being God. Yahweh deliberately overlooked these slights and proceeded to actively work on behalf of his people, his unfaithful people. He sends an angel to deliver a message of hope, the birth of a baby, the classic sign of hope. To highlight how special this child was supposed to be, he designated that the child and his expectant mother should abide by special Nazarite standards. Now, just in case we think God was being really naive in regards to how things were going to turn out here, we need to read carefully the words of the angel in verse 5 regarding Samson's life and purpose. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is not exactly a ringing endorsement and a guarantee of success. In fact, it implies that God knew Samson was not going to get the job done and end the oppression. But God kept moving forward and taking risks. God moving forward with a plan that he knows has a good chance of failing is not an unusual theme in the Bible. In the creation narrative, God created the whole world and promptly Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden tree. Noah and his family get a fresh start, jump off the boat, and proceed to sin as soon as the newly planted vineyard yielded its first batch of wine. The nation of Israel miraculously escapes slavery in Egypt only to have the first generation die off short of the promised land because they failed to trust God. Later, Israel rejects God's kingship over them and demand a king because they want to be just like everyone else. David, a man after God's own heart and handpicked by God for kingship, committed a form of adultery that should probably be described as rape and then committed murder to cover it up. God sent prophet after prophet to speak truth to his people, and each time they were firmly rejected. The New Testament itself introduces us to a new era of hope and the astonishing gift of the presence of Jesus Christ, available through the Holy Spirit to us all. Alas, the state of our lives, our churches, and the surrounding world show us today that tragically, Things have not worked out perfectly yet again. So when we read of God sending Israel a deliverer in Samson who was not going to finish the job set out for him, how can we but marvel at Yahweh the great risk taker? He's at it again, the relentless and active God who reaches into this situation even though nobody asks him to. A God who is willing to patiently and diligently work through the potential failure that is sometimes inevitable. A God who is continually and actively working in this world has throughout history and will continue to do so until the end of time. 
If we suddenly fear that God will stop working and simply end things out of frustration with these endless failures, we have the wise words of Rachel in verse 23. If Yahweh had desired to kill us, he would have not accepted a burnt offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. Rachel's response is to her husband's fear of death, but we can inherit these wise words as our own. God hasn't worked throughout all of history to suddenly just give up and throw in the towel. If he had desired to end things a long time ago, he could have. But he has chosen to keep actively working in this world, which needs all the help we can get at this point. So does this mean that we are supposed to simply accept failures? Should we just embrace the story of Samson and ignore all that went wrong? Should we ignore what went wrong in this story and in so many other stories in the Bible? No. Rather than overlooking the failures of the human condition, we are to see the hope breaking through our reality, trusting that God is indeed still taking risks and actively working even in the most dire of circumstances. There is hope amidst the chaos of the war-torn nations of the world, such as Syria, Ukraine, and Ethiopia. These are places devastated by death and destruction and where evil seemingly reigns supreme. There is hope that just as God actively reached into the chaos of the Israelites, God is again taking risks and actively working in the dark places of our world as well. This isn't just talk. As we well know here at Broadway Church, the Martz family and others are taking part in God's risky work of love and compassion to shine a light in the dark places of the world like Ukraine. There is hope amidst the chaos of climate change. The delicate balance of creation continues to be severely disrupted by the relentlessness of human excess and the consequences will continue to mount. Rising seas, heat domes, atmospheric rivers, catastrophic floods, rapidly spreading forest fires. As a human race, we are a self-centered bunch, none more so than us in the Western world. God risked handing stewardship of this earth over to humanity, and in many ways we have faltered. Perhaps what is needed even more than any Paris climate change accord or billions of dollars in an American climate change bill is a change of heart. We can pray for God's active work in hearts and minds, for ourselves, for our communities, and for our world leaders. There is hope amidst the chaos of the North American church, a church that for many has become tragically and bitterly divided between the political right and the political left. A church that has become immensely preoccupied with worldly power. A church that has struggled with the awful reality of various forms of sexual misconduct by some of its leaders. 
A church that often appears to be sinking further and further into apathy. God is at work in the church. After all, it is his church. God is taking risks amongst us in our distractedness, our fallenness, and our feeble efforts. God is still here at work within the North American church and within our Broadway church community here in Chilliwack. There is hope amidst the chaos of our own lives. There is hope when we are struggling with the enduring fragility of marriage and family life. When we struggle with singleness. When our finances suck. Or when our finances are actually great, but we just desperately covet more. When our mental health and well-being is not good and the storm clouds have arrived. When everyone else is appearing to lead happy and wonderful lives on social media, and we are jealous and lonely and less than fulfilled. God is with us in all of these things and all the other things. God is actively working in all of our lives. In the beginning, God took a risk and actively created life out of the chaos and void that was present before the earth was formed. God was active during the chaos of the judges period that Manoah and Rachel lived in, even when no one asked for his help. He granted a miracle baby as a sign of hope. And God is active today in this chaotic world that is seemingly void of much peace. Let us take great comfort in the active hand of God at work. A God who keeps moving along his risky plans even when failures get in the way. Let us take great hope in this awesome, active, loving, compassionate, and risk-taker God who is continually working for good in this world. May we take comfort and come alongside to join in and do the same.